The Truth News Network. Prices out of control, inflation rising, industries screaming out for materials, parts, qualified workers. How is it that Hollywood isn't feeling this? How is it the media aren't scrambling? Questions worth answering, but where do you get those answers? You get them here. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. Man, we have so much going on around us. It's really difficult to keep up with everything, the important things. And in the middle of focusing on all these important things, We just forget about a lot of previous critical things that we were beaten over the head with by mainstream media every day. Kind of like, you know, um, COVID-19. Oh my gosh. The COVID gods led by Dr. Anthony Fauci, they obliterated COVID. It's gone. It's gone. Well, at least... Dr. Anthony Fauci's gone. Boy, all kinds of conspiracy theories out there about where is Dr. Fauci? We miss his wisdom. We miss his daily berating of us because we're just people and he's not just people. (laughs) I, I, for one, will tell you this. I don't miss that. I don't miss anybody who constantly berates me just because they think they're smarter than I am. They may be on certain issues. But folks, let me tell you this. Here you are today, doing whatever you're doing. Some at your office, some at your home, some out and about. You've got a world that's full of very particular, specific things that you've figured out how to operate in. You know what that means? You're pretty darn smart. You're certainly not stupid. And because, just because you live in this world and you're an adult, you've grown up, you've learned so much just from the circumstances of life, folks, you got it pretty well together. And anybody and everybody that looks at you, that talks to you, that speaks to you, that talks about you even, they need to understand you've got a world that is specific to you that in most cases regarding most things in it, You've mastered. And just because of that, you're pretty darn smart. Well, you just got that one for free this morning. I know that there are a lot of things out there that are causing fear and concern and the hesitancy to make decisions and choices. These are never good times. Those are never good things to have to worry with and think about. But think about this this morning as we get cranking up. Let me just tell you this. Uh, we're going to start with some stuff about the Ukrainian war. But then we're going to very quickly move on over to the important things like oil and gas and $4, close to $5 in some places, even more than that in other parts of the United States. We're going to talk about that. We've got news on that front. We've got some real inside information regarding who's responsible for what. I think you're going to enjoy this today. So buckle up and let's get going. You know, the events of the past two weeks over there, over there is Ukraine, have assaulted the senses of a Western world, that's you and me, that convinced itself this war 
was like no longer possible. I mean, we couldn't have this. Europe, we were promised for years, wasn't supposed to be like this. War always happens somewhere else. But now, folks, one of the world's largest armies in history, rolling across the border of a neighboring country, has brought comparisons for us all the way back to World War II. TV screens filled with pictures and videos of desperate refugees fleeing for the border. Buildings being bombarded, the death toll mounting, a people's army brandishing guns and Molotov cocktails staring down a nuclear-armed Russia. I saw yesterday one of the most devastating videos that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was from a live news report, and it was from one city in Ukraine. I'm not sure which one it was. I don't remember. But it was um, a video And there was a man standing up close and the camera was pointing to him and he was speaking right behind him across the street as he was speaking. There was an explosion and some type of explosive device had been fired and it hit the ground probably 25, 30 feet behind him across the street where a woman and two of her children were standing. And it killed them all instantly. We're in war, folks. Well, maybe not the United States, but the world is in war. Journalists, commentators, they show their own bias. These people, they said, looked like us talking about the Ukrainians. They were white and European and civilized. War and refugees are what we see in the Middle East and Africa. We don't see it in the United States. We don't see it in Europe. So we think. But humanity's bloodiest wars, if you'll remember, were fought on the European continent. Not just the two world wars, but there was back in the 19th century what they termed the 30 years war. And all of the other wars of religion before that which laid waste to entire populations. Different sects and groups of people just disappeared from the planet. And now Russian President Putin is waging what he terms a holy war, war for the ancient territory of the Holy Rus, which that's the abbreviation for Russian homelands. No one is responsible for Putin's murderous rampage but Putin himself. He claims mitigation. That's a term he used. That means NATO encroachment and enlargement, Western humiliation. But mitigation is not justification. But that this can happen in our world today should give us all pause. We need to stop and think things through. For centuries, we on earth have pursued the relentless progress of modernity, the elevation of reason and rationally and rationality above all. And we've almost morphed into this. The human is God. We followed reason and rationality. We went to the guillotine, the gulag, and the gas chamber. Every time we told ourselves we've entered a higher stage of humanity, we just plunge right back into war once more erase all of the progress that we make. Once again, we are confronting today the darker side of modernity. 
that for all our talk of enlightenment, Steven Pinker's blathering to progress that allows us to live longer, more healthily, and supposedly more peaceably, in spite of all of that, the world remains capable of barbarism, and it's playing out today, like on that city street I just told you about from yesterday. As Immanuel Kant, the philosopher who asked this question, what is enlightenment? As he said, quote, so long as human culture remains at its present stage, war is, therefore, an indispensable means of it advancing further. He wrote those words more than two centuries ago, and still today, his dream of what he called perpetual peace, we can't find it. Ukraine has stunned us out of our anesthetized state. We've been asleep. We didn't even know it. For all of its unrivaled achievements, our modern world has also left us dulled, alienated, atomized, and we're oblivious to many of the things that are changing our world around us every day. We don't even notice them. Technology has brought us to a point. We can, we can order a pizza, have it brought to our door without ever even seeing the person who cooked our food or the underpaid cyclist riding in the rain to deliver it to our front door. Russia today, and this is probably the 900-pound gorilla in the room, Russia has the world's highest number of nuclear warheads. Did you know that? Vladimir Putin's threat to use them, just because he's got them and he's unhinged, we have to take that seriously. We can today drop bombs from drones, killing people in faraway places without ever knowing their names or even looking them in the eye, certainly not standing eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe, or even across the street or even across the country. In food and in war, we are numb. Now the conflict in Ukraine has cracked our world open. What we couldn't or wouldn't see in the faces of those already suffering and crushed by war in other places, you know, those ones where we send a bunch of money and humanitarian aid. We certainly can't avoid that now. The war asks hard questions about what we call a rules-based order. Do the rules apply? Who enforces them? Is being powerful and mighty, is that right? Well, Vladimir Putin certainly thinks so. And the nation that has dominated since the end of World War II, ours, the United States, struggles now. We're trying to renew our moral purpose. We're questioning everything. President Biden has said unequivocally, the U.S. will not send troops to fight for Ukraine. He will lead a Western response, send money, aid, weapons, but the West, the West won't spill blood for a sovereign democratic nation that may not exist, at least as we know it, when this war is over. Biden faces a world with no moral absolutes, just hard moral choices with monstrous repercussions and actual infighting and battle in nations across the globe trying to find out who can determine the correct moral choices for us. 
This is a big miss. This is how far the world has come just since 1991. Then, the Soviet Union collapsed. Remember that? Signaling the end of the Cold War. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Remember that? That was President Reagan standing at the Berlin border wall. Gorbachev heard Reagan, and he did precisely that, not knowing that the Soviet Union was about to be toast. The U.S. stood alone as the world's great power. As Jose Luis Fiore, a professor of international political economy, put it, quote, there was no other power capable of questioning the will of the U.S. When the Soviet Union went away, that was pretty much it. Liberal democracy had won the war, but it is accused of squandering the peace today. To quote the political philosopher Judith Sklar, liberalism has become unsure of its moral basis. Liberalism has become unsure of its moral basis. The end of the Cold War marked a victory for what social scientists say has called political minimalism. It was an outgrowth of the Atlantic-centered post-war order. I'm sure everybody reading this follows along saying, absolutely right, sir. After World War II, a brand new form of politics showed up in favor of a narrower negative focus on the defense of liberty as the number one task of any legitimate political system. It avoided a focus on equality. That could come later if it ever came at all. And as Reed Henry argued, the architects of the post-war order increasingly made a case for the use of political violence in defense of the order. We have plenty of that here. Politicized everything, including violence in our streets. Henry also said the result was indeed more about order than it was about liberalism or conservatism. It was about consolidating political authority in the name of freedom. Many Americans today disagree with that. Political minimalism morphed into the dominant neoliberal ideology that elevated the market as the arbiter of justice and fairness, the almighty dollar. The market was even elevated above society itself. A professor of Russian and European politics summed up some of the perils of triumphant liberalism. Quote, The political West, as it had taken shape after 1945 in the form of the Atlantic power system, saw no reason for transformation. Fearing normal dilution, institutional dysfunction, and weakened political partisanship. And instead, advanced an increasingly ambitious program of expansion. The logic of transformation ran into the logic of expansion. In the end, 1989 was not ultimately transformative. It only reproduced in new forms this expansive logic of the politics that it told everybody it was using to overcome. When the Cold War ended, The West missed the chance to enhance the virtue of its liberalism, conservatism, appearing instead boastful, triumphant, and expansionist. Since then, we've seen Western nations wage war, be accused of breaching international law, and then, of course, there's the furor in our own country. 
in which it seems like everything is just raw, torn apart, divisive, and we can't agree on any of it. A meritocracy, a new royalty, has dominated power inside liberal democracies, exploiting massive inequality, power, and privilege. While economic globalization lifted a bunch of people around the world out of poverty, increased global wealth, it also left a bunch of people behind. And now comes Ukraine and Putin's lust for dominance. It wasn't an impulse that led Vladimir to light the fires of war and start the caissons rolling. Ukraine is at war with Vladimir Putin. And this war is one that the West does not know how to fight. There is a push for globalization in the West. A lot of pushback against it. But there is a strong and growing stronger push for globalization. As that's happening, Vladimir Putin is encouraging the return of the tribe, which is the antithesis to the cries from Biden's leftist here in the U.S., but it echoes the empathy of Europe. Putin sees the West individualism as a weakness, and his approach has set the world on fire. The collapse of the global financial system has exacerbated their suffering. They feel abandoned. And they are angry. It has fueled political populism and tribalism, feeding on the worst impulses of separatism and xenophobia. And of course, the cries in the U.S. of racism have become little more than a yawn for most because the lack of substance and explanation rings hollow in their absence. There's been a blowback beyond the West, the rise of Islamist terrorism, more powerful strains of nationalism, and of course, the rise of authoritarian China and its partner, and they are partners now, Russia. Before he became president, Putin was growing desperate about Russia's future. Ten years after the fall of the Berlin Wall that ushered in the collapse of the Soviet Union, Putin saw his nation in a death spiral. This is all critical for us all to understand, there is history in this invasion of Ukraine. It didn't just happen. Vladimir Putin didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I like that country over there. Let's go take it. Folks, this developed not over a few years, not over a few decades, but almost half a century. In a speech titled Russia, at the turn of the millennium. Listen to what Putin said. Russia is in the midst of one of the most difficult periods in its history. For the first time in the past two to 300 years, it is facing a real threat of sliding to the second and possibly even third echelon in the world. In other words, he said, we may be heading for becoming quickly a third world nation. He continued, we are running out of time for removing this threat. We must strain all intellectual, physical, and moral forces of the nation. We need coordinated, creative work. Nobody will do it for us. He has played a long game. you got to admit that. And his gamble on the return of Russian glory is now being acted out in the most devastating fashion with a mounting death pole. Ukrainians fleeing their country and cities on fire 
and death and mayhem are everywhere now in Eastern Europe. We live in the shadow of 1989 and we don't even think about it. The fall of the Berlin Wall marked the end of the 20th century and a new and different world. But in the same year, the People's Liberation Army in China opened fire on their own people in Tiananmen Square. Remember that famous picture, one Chinese man standing in front of blocking a tank in Tiananmen Square that day. That was the birth of this century. We're now caught between time and nations that are worlds apart. The left in Europe and in the U.S., we're sure that their liberalism and democracy, which they call progressivism, set us the highest goals of hoping for great peace and an economic expansion never before seen. But it's failed, folks. That utopia required diminishing the values of citizenship, the love of country, patriotism, and the commitment to freedom and all that freedom provides. The left thrived on mocking faith with constant focus on gross inequality and community collapse. Today in their world, the left, human rights are determined more by the market than inherent human worth. The U.S. Constitution and its promises of freedom and equality for all are little more than an issue of a comic book. At the same time, the authoritarian regimes have across the globe grown bolder with their focus now on us, the U.S. The war in Ukraine should shake us from our slumber, ask us again to commit not to a better America, but a stronger and freer America, the one our forefathers created for us. We need to revive that nation of the people, by the people, and for the people. And stop just saying that and just do it. Let's be honest. The people of Ukraine look at Russian President Vladimir Putin as their enemy. Long before this invasion, they envisioned the United States of America as the bastion of independence and true liberty on earth. Most, if not all, Ukrainians long to either live here in the U.S. or to have our collective structure of government from top to bottom in their countries. Isn't it ironic? The party in charge of government disagrees with the Ukrainians. I'm going to say that again. The party in charge of government disagrees with the Ukrainians. Those same Ukrainians that love our independence and true liberty and want to be involved in it. And apparently Democrats espouse a nation that is more like Vladimir Putin's than they do ours. And in the wake of that, question for you. Are we headed down the same road as the Ukrainian people are? Could we possibly be looking at an invasion by Russia or China? I'm not trying to be scary. But folks, we need to stand up and understand This Ukrainian thing is not happening in a vacuum. There are evil men from around the world that are watching it unfold, 
watching what everyone else on earth does about what Vladimir Putin is doing or watching what others don't do while watching Putin do what he's doing. And some of these evil people are thinking, maybe, just maybe it's time for us to go after the United States. It's happened before. What do you think World War II was all about in the Pacific? Think about that. It was a dead attack on our western flank by Japan, and they thought they could take over our country. And then on the other side, east of the Atlantic, we had to fight Adolf Hitler. And his Nazism had spread across Europe. We had to fight there at the same time. What makes you think it can't happen again? It may not look exactly the same. And certainly if it happened today, it wouldn't. But it will, if it happens, still be on the same basis with the same type of purpose on the part of those that reach out. Now, historians look back at World War II and look at how it impacted us and how Americans responded. This America today, folks, the one we live in, the one I see, the one I listen to and you watch and listen to yourself, based on where we are today, at least the perception of where we are, we would never respond like our grandparents did. They dropped everything. And there was one question. What can I do? Tell me what I can do to make sure we protect what we have here. People left their families. People left their homes. People dropped everything. They forgot about wealth and accumulation. All that consumed them was how to keep the nation what it's been for, at that time, 200 years. Here we are, folks. We're facing some of the same questions that those Ukrainian people are facing today. And one that they're asking, one we're asking, what can we do? What should we do? Wow. Folks, as I told you, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. This gas thing, gasoline, oil, how we're responding to all of this, even things like a new partnership that the Biden administration has secretly been activating and putting together regarding getting Iran back in the nuclear arms race. And Biden and his minions have brought Russia into the middle of that. And it looks like, folks, we're going to be in a partnership if this administration gets its way And don't think that they can't do it. They did it once before. When they did it then, Obama and Biden, they did it without Russia in the mix. But now Russia, the tyrant who's invading Ukraine, hates us, wants to destroy all democratic and free political landscape on the planet. He's in the mix. We're going to weigh into that. We've got some information about that. And we're going to take this break when we come back. A great story coming out of Ukraine, an interview with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. We have that right after this at TNN Live. 
Have you heard about Blank Slate yet? It's the best board game. In fact, Blank Slate has quickly become the new favorite with everybody around here. It's very simple. Unlike other games, no one gets embarrassed. Blank Slate is all about having fun, right? That's what we want. It's perfect for when you get the fam together or play with friends online because it's a game that everyone can get into. And if you need proof, just check out any of the hundreds of five-star reviews. It's basically selling out. So get Blank Slate now at Target, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you buy games. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policies subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or Affiliate. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for, only from Verizon. 5G Ultra Wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. So here we are, March the 8th, a Tuesday. And before I go anywhere else, let me just tell you this. Today's a big day for us. Our son, our baby, turns, well, let's see, he was born in 1980. So that would make him 42 today. My goodness, 42 years. It doesn't seem possible. And you know, we all say that when we talk about our kids or those around us when they have birthdays. It's like, man... I remember when they did this, when they were born, when they went to school and all that kind of stuff. Well, he's our baby. Caleb is his name, spelled with a K. He lives in Dallas-Fort Worth, actually lives in Fort Worth. He's an executive chef over uh, Medical Center Arlington, a big 300-bed hospital over there. He's doing a great job. He's married. He and Gina don't have kids But we're hoping. (laughs) We have two daughters. He has two older sisters, and they have children, but there's only one person left to carry on the Newman name, and that would be Caleb. So we're proud of him. He is our baby, but he's 6'9 and weighs 340 pounds, so he's really not a baby. And we're all proud of our kids. But I tell you what, those that know our family and know what we've been through and what he's been through, Him being where he is today is an absolute miracle, and we are so proud of him. So what's going on in the world of oil and gas? We're going to get right to that. But I want to, before we do that, I want you to hear an interview that happened overnight. And ABC News, they broadcast this, and it's about seven or eight minutes long, 
and there is an English interpreter, but this is the president of Ukraine himself, Volodymyr Zelensky, answering questions. And I think every American needs to hear the Ukrainian president, what he says answering these questions about what's going on. Mr. President, thank you so much for joining us. We're aware of the situation around Kyiv right now, the fighting to the north, uh, the fighting to the west. What is the situation right now on the ground there, and, and how long do you think you can keep the capital of Kyiv? We are being bombarded not only in the city of Kyiv, um, not only in the housing sectors, but also in the suburbs of Kyiv. You can't even recognize um, the way our capital looks right now. The city of Kharkiv, Vinnytsia, Odessa, Zhytomyr, Chernihiv, Mariupol, many cities are being bombed. I know you're aware of the reality on the ground when you list all of those cities where there is Russian bombardment right now, the Russians closing in. The Pentagon, uh, of course, here in the U.S., believes that about 95 percent of Russian troops that have been amassed along the Ukrainian border are now inside Ukraine. That would be nearly 150,000 troops. How long can the Ukrainian military, the Ukrainian people hold off the Russians? I'm sure that Ukrainians are prepared uh, to stand against Russia for their entire lives. Even the cities that were occupied by a Russian military, they have seen the response and feedback from ordinary people. These ordinary people didn't have machine guns. This courage is something that is unprecedented and Russian soldiers don't even have uh, that courage. The problem is that for one soldier of Ukraine, we have 10 Russian soldiers, and for one Ukrainian tank, we have 50 Russian tanks, but we are destroying them, and this difference is that the gap is closing. But the question is, how long can we withstand? Many things depend not just on us. We will endure, and even if they come into all our cities, there will be insurgency, insurgent war, and no one will give away our independence. Today, war is here. Tomorrow, it will be in Lithuania, then in Poland, then in Germany. This is serious. United States is far away, but in recent days, I do feel that United States are closer to us. I know you spoke with President Biden again. I'm curious, what's the most important thing you're asking the president for, asking the U.S. for right now? I told him that for us, the most important today is the security in the sky. We cannot uh, allow Russia to be active there only because they're bombing us, they are shelling us, they are bombing us, they're sending m missiles, helicopters, jet fighters. So a lot of things, uh, but we are not doing this because we don't have the sky. We don't control our sky. The president and NATO have said no to this no-fly zone because of concerns this could trigger a much wider a conflict, a much a bigger war than what we're seeing uh, already because there have to be a willingness to shoot Russian planes out of the sky. Do you understand that concern? What do you mean to shoot down Russian planes? If the missile is flying, yesterday, for example, the missile hit the university in the city of Kharkiv and the dormitory, and the same uh, missile uh, hit the tumor uh, pediatric clinic um, in Kyiv. So if this missile is flying, so are you thinking whether to shoot it down or not? 
I think there is no any other answer but to yes, yes, they need to be shot down. You have to preserve, preserve lives. I'm sure that the brave uh, American soldiers who would be shooting it down, knowing that it's flying towards the students, I'm sure that they had no doubt in doing so. Mr. President, I know that no one questions the horror unfolding in Ukraine right now. What the president has said here, uh, and lawmakers really in both parties, Republicans and Democrats, have stood behind the president on this. The concern about uh, protecting and enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine would then lead to the possibility it would draw the U.S. into a wider war with Russia. That they're simply not willing to do that. We are a place in Europe a place of freedom, a zone of freedom. And uh, um, everyone thinks that we are far away from America or Canada. Uh, no, we are this zone of freedom. And when the limits of uh, rights and freedoms are being violated and stepped on, then you have to protect us because we will come first, you will come second, because the more this beast will eat, he wants more, more and more. Mr. President, you talked about the need for fighter jets. We know the U.S. is uh, reportedly looking at how to supply Russian uh, jets from Poland. Uh, you, had, you had requested these jets because Ukrainian fighter pilots know how to fly these Russian planes. Has there been any movement on that front? We asked not only the United States, we asked many other countries. I'm not going to name them. We looked into this question. We know where these Soviet planes are stationed, which countries host them. And we asked these countries. And in many ways, it is the United States in many ways who will decide. Do you believe the president could be doing more to help? I'm sure that the president can do more. I'm sure he can, and I would like to believe that, that he's capable of doing that. The U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said just in the last uh, 24 hours that the U.S. is looking uh, at credible reports that civilians have been intentionally targeted there uh, in Ukraine, saying if so, it would be a war crime. We, of course, have seen these horrific images uh, in these last few hours. Do you believe that Putin is deliberately attacking civilians? Why would I care? The result is the same. People are dying. The bombardment of the schools and kindergartens, the universities, the dormitory, the bombardment of uh, a nuclear power plant, without even thinking that Europe may disappear if it really hits the unit. Every minute, every hour, every day, the same things are happening. People are dying. Do you believe Putin is a war criminal? I think that all people who came to our land, all people who gave those orders, all uh, soldiers who were shooting, they're all war criminals. Let me ask you, Mr. President, it's believed the U.S. and the West have offered help to get you out of that country alive if it comes to that. Have they made that offer? And how long will you stay? Yes, I was offered because there was a lot of information and uh, several special, uh, special groups who were sent to uh, kill me and uh, my family. I said no, because how can I do this? I'm the citizen of my uh, country. 
and uh, I'm the um, elected president of these people. So you will stay until the end, no matter what that means? Well, I would like the end to be like in the Hollywood movies, the happy end for our country. The happy end. He would like it to be that. I got to be honest with you, folks. This guy, he's amazing. Do you know what he did yesterday? I, I, I couldn't, bl- I thought when I heard this, it was, it was not true. He, on transmission, I would assume it was an interview, maybe like the one with ABC you just heard. He gave up his location, where he's been, that's being been hidden, and they've been moving him around to various locations because there are people that are out there actively trying to assassinate the Ukrainian president. In fact, Vladimir Putin has him at the top of his kill list of all those in Ukraine that need to go. Well, he had a camera and he pointed it out the window. He was actually in his office, in the government office building in Kiev. He said, here I am and I'm not leaving. Now, he obviously will leave that particular office But I'm going to tell you what, he is brazen. He's so brave that the Reagan Foundation yesterday announced they have awarded him their Medal of Freedom. He's quite a guy. And uh, the name is appropriate for him, Churchill in a t-shirt, Churchill being Winston Churchill, who did something for England, the United Kingdom, in World War II. Very similar to what... Volodymyr Zelensky is doing now in Ukraine. Well, yesterday, overnight actually, Russia broke their ceasefire and they're shelling the evacuation routes. People that are getting out are, are getting shelled by the Russians that besieged Marupol, where water shortages saw kids die of thirst, packed buses stream out of another city's humanitarian corridor where 21 were killed in airstrikes overnight. Russia has again, this is the second or third time they've broken that ceasefire. The latest violation came as Zelensky said a six-year-old girl died of thirst in the blockaded port city, which is running low on food, water, and medicine amid the biggest ground war in Europe since WW2. The little girl, named only as Tanya, died from dehydration under the rubble of her destroyed home. It's not known how long she'd been under the ruins of her home before she died, but her mom was also found dead at the scene as well. In the last minutes of her life, she was alone, exhausted, frightened, and terribly thirsty. That's what the mayor said. This is just one of the many stories of Marupol, which has been surviving a blockade now for eight days. Residents of the city have been cut off from electricity, water, and gas. Attempts to deliver food and medicine have failed. Communications are disrupted. Late Monday, Russia named Marupol as one of the four cities where humanitarian corridors would be opened up. After also shelling a route out of the city on Sunday, and they did the same thing again and killed this little girl. It's unfathomable that this kind of horror, this kind of inhumanity, is playing out anywhere, but especially in the civilized world in Europe. 
I, I, I just, I've tried and tried and tried to puzzle through. And I understand in large part exactly why Vladimir Putin is doing this. What I can't understand, and I certainly can't process and accept as reasonable, is the way he's going about getting Ukraine back in the group of nations, at least part of the group of nations that were the Soviet Union. It's nuts, folks. It makes no sense, and it's horrible, and people are dying. And it's not just in Ukraine. And this is not going to be just about Ukraine. There are experts now that are saying we are today in World War III. The Ukraine war is on the verge of causing a global food crisis. People don't even realize how much that Ukraine does in the way of food across the world, not just in Europe. Both Russia and Ukraine account for a big portion of the global grain supply. Both nations also have significant roles with the supply of fertilizer as well as its raw materials. But with trade grinding to a halt, because of all of this, the head of one major fertilizer company sounding alarm bells, half the world's population gets food as a result of fertilizers. If that's removed from the field for some crops, the yield is going to drop by 50%. This expert speaking said, for me, it's not whether we're moving into a global food crisis, it's how large the crisis will be. He emphasized that already there's a big supply difficulty before the start of the current conflict. This just exacerbated it. The BBC noting the increased cost of gas was already resulting in a steep rise in the cost of fertilizer and subsequently a rise in the cost of food and everything. All over the world right now, people are watching Europe and asking, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? In the middle of all of this, you know, a lot of this has to do with the uh, Nord Stream 2 Russian pipeline that pipeline that uh, has been being built for a long time, stretching from Russia and through Northern Europe to Germany. And the plan is, of course, to enable Russia to provide a larger amount of natural gas to the Northern European countries. Donald Trump, when he became president, when he entered the office very early on, he put sanctions on the companies that were finishing, building and finishing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, and they shut it down. And the reason he did it was the reason the rest of the world is looking in right now, breathlessly waiting to see what happens. If Putin gets that pipeline, gets it operational, going directly into Germany and from there around Northern Europe, just think how much blackmail he can do to the free countries in Europe. Yesterday, some damning news came out about Senator Catherine Cortez Masto, who's a Democrat of Nevada. She has consistently opposed any measures to make America energy independent. Found out yesterday, she took thousands in donations from lobbyists for the Russian Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Everything's for sale in D.C. As gas prices went through the roof, 
the most expensive ever recorded, the revelations about Cortez Masto could severely jeopardize her re-election campaign this year. You think? <laughs> Gas prices on Monday soared in Nevada to at least $4.60 per gallon, second highest in the nation behind Hawaii. Even as that happened, the Democrat senator has regularly opposed anything, any type of initiative that would reduce gas prices and increase American energy independence. She opposed the Keystone Pipeline, the drilling on federal lands, drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, expanding natural gas, and she refused to prevent a ban on fracking. Now, she obviously is getting paid, kind of roundabout, kind of back pocket kind of thing, but she's getting paid. How much of this is happening among other members of the U.S. Congress, folks? K Street, have you ever heard, well, I know you've heard it here at TNN Live. I, I mentioned K Street pretty regularly. It's just around the corner from the White House. That's the street on which almost all of the lobbying firms, those firms that do nothing but have these corporate customers, governments, foreign governments even, that pay them to go to members of Congress on the specific issues that these companies and countries have that will be, and they want to be impacted by legislation in the U.S. Congress. And folks, they spend billions of dollars collectively each year. And here's an example of how they operate. Find a member of Congress that is for sale on any specific issue and then get them to impact their votes that have to do with their clients. Give them thousands of dollars, millions of dollars to impact the vote to go the way the client wants them to go. Now, I'm sure you heard earlier today, there's been a tremendous amount of pressure here in the United States to get President Biden to stop purchasing Russian oil. We can't do that. we got to stop doing that. And the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she has maintained, of course on the behest of her boss, President Biden, she's maintained there's no reason we should stop buying oil from Russia. Yesterday she got into it with uh, several reporters, but of course front and center there is Fox News reporter, Ducey, I like him, he's Steve Ducey's son. Listen to this back and forth about why we're not producing more oil so we don't have to buy it from Russia. So if you say that you're gonna do everything that you can to reduce the impact that high gas prices have on Americans, uh, we're asking other countries to think about maybe pumping more oil. Why not just do it here? Well, to be very clear, federal policies are not Im- uh, limiting the supplies of oil and gas. To the con- let me finish. To the con- let me finish. An executive order. His Peter, first week halted new oil and let, gas. Let me let me give you let me give you the facts here, and I know that can be inconvenient, but I think they're important in this moment. To the contrary, we have uh, the, we have been clear that in the short term, supply must keep up with the demand. Where we are, and here and around the world, will we make the shift to a secure, clear, clean energy future? We are one of the largest 
largest producers with a strong domestic oil and gas industry. We have actually produced more oil. It is at record numbers, and we will continue to produce more oil. We have actually produced more oil. It is at record numbers, and we will continue to produce more oil. It's like there's a storyline that everybody has got to sign on. Whether or not it's true, it's not vetted in most cases. And in this particular case, you could manipulate the numbers and come up with a roundaway backdoor way to even say that. And even when she said it, it's not all true. So let's do this. We're going to take a break, our second break. When we come back, I've got all the numbers in my hands. I'm going to tell you what the real number regarding oil and gas that we produce through the years. I'm talking about numbers for comparison, comparing Obama and Trump and Biden. Also, we're going to talk about the environmental, the climate change important issues, the specifics, the truth, the facts, not the partisan climate change factoids that they throw out there every once in a while with no justification for it. I mean, folks, it's real facts and it's real news and we've got it all. You you can't miss this. Stay tuned. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey, Ed Itchy in Idaho. Yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Little Caesar's Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring 649 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesar's. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesar's Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just 649. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. As politics grow ever more chaotic, remember this truth. When you're taking heavy flack, it usually means you're over the target. Open the Bombay doors. Truthnewsnet.org. Your pilot on this mission, Dan Newman. Boy, I tell you what, our mission is a little intricate, a little bit detailed, and because of that, it gives all of those that want to take sides every time and force everybody to take the other side who disagrees with them. And when that side controls all of the information, sometimes it's hard to counter 
what they're saying, even when we know what they're saying is not true. Uh, let me just circle back to Saki. She's desperately throwing out propaganda on everything. I mean, Twitter, over the weekend, news interviews spewing facts that blame high gas prices on Russia instead of her boss, Joe Biden. And then she lectures us every day on the specifics of energy production and security. Here's what she said. She said it Friday. She said it again yesterday. The reason why the price of gas is going up, it's not because of steps the president has taken. They're because Putin is invading Ukraine. And she's asked over and over and over again in these White House briefings, well, where's the oil? We are not getting enough oil. We can't produce it here. And we're paying out the wazoo to get it from places like Russia. Well, we don't buy much from Russia. It's just a few barrels, and I'm exaggerating, but that's the impression that they give us. Well, we tracked it down. We're buying over 600,000 barrels of oil a day from Russia. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot of oil. I mean, 600,000, we're actually using 15 million barrels a day, sometimes up a little bit from there. 600 barrels, 600,000 barrels, that's no big deal. Well, at today's cost of oil, that's in dollars and cents, $78 million every day. And in just a month, that totals $2,340,000,000. Now, that's going to Russia. So the question has been out there. Well, why don't we go back? Why don't we go back and reopen our energy sector and get them pumping gas and transmitting oil and gas all around the world to our partners in Europe? What can we do? Why don't we just do that? And do two things in doing it. Stop Russia. Stop feeding them money so they can keep this war and any other war they want to get into. Keep them from fighting us. And at the same time, quit taking money out of good American hard workers that are dying when they go fill up their cars to go to and from work. $7 gas overnight. $7 a gallon overnight. Yesterday, and I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play the uh, the bit of the press briefing. She got into it with Peter Ducey, as she often does, and she made the case saying this: "We're producing more oil than we did before, and it keeps going up. Well, we're not producing enough oil. You remember this thing that we had part of last year and the previous year that kind of slowed down our use and our requirements for oil and gas. And what was that? They sent us home. They closed our schools. Nobody was working. Businesses weren't operating. We were sheltered in a home, fixated on the news to try to get through our COVID-19 pandemic. When she talks and gives these talking points from the podium, she never qualifies what she claims. Yeah, our consumption was down. And we didn't need that much oil. But, Jen, the pandemic's over. We're moving around like we did pre-pandemic now. We need oil. And we need it at the prices that it was at 
when you became the White House press secretary. The day your boss was elected, it was $1.69 a gallon in Shreveport, Louisiana. At the same place today, it's $3.90 a gallon. And she says, well, you know, there are, I think she said, 900 drilling permits that have been issued by the federal government and the oil companies aren't using them. Go to them and talk to them and get them to get out there and get this oil out of the ground. We've already done everything we can do. It is so dishonest how people in this government work when they're communicating. She never bothered to tell us, and, I, and I'm sorry, Peter Ducey should have asked this, why, oh why, aren't those energy companies using those drilling permits that the Department of Land Management already approved, signed off on it, why didn't they go ahead and drill? What Joe Biden did on his first day in office, folks, he issued a plethora of executive orders that increased the requirements on drilling operations that made it virtually impossible for an oil and gas company to explore the same way we had without raising the cost of doing so exponentially and making it crazy and stupid to actually do it. I have not heard a single person get into that. But that's exactly what happened. And then when you ask that question, it goes here. Well, you know our overarching plan for everything we do in the world of energy is climate change. We've got to get our greenhouse gas emissions. We've got to get them way, 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 way down. So which do you do? Do you starve to death? Do you have people that can't go to work because they can't buy gas for their cars? Do you have people that can't get to the store to buy food even if there is food on the shelves? What do you do? Well, our White House, they always have a plan. We're going to talk about stopping doing business with Vladimir and we're going to replace it. So what did Joe do? The White House is considering removing sanctions to get some oil from other countries. Well, these sanctions would be removed for who? Venezuela. Hmm, Venezuela, what's that all about? Well, you've got a communist dictator down there, Maduro, and he just killed millions, well, not millions, but thousands of his people with horrible, horrible top-down actions You couldn't buy food. You couldn't even buy toilet paper. And it's never stopped. Of course, we sanction Venezuela's energy sector. Several senior administration officials in the Biden camp met with top Venezuelan government authorities over the weekend, quietly, secretly, to talk about a path forward if the U.S. were to remove the sanctions on Venezuela. It was a very rare in-person meeting with those officials It represented the highest level visit to the authoritarian-run nation in years. It does seem like there's a potential for things to shift. I think the question is what the U.S. is going to get in exchange. That was Jeff Ramsey, the Venezuelan director at the Washington office in Latin America. 
it's very unlikely that senior Biden officials would go to Caracas, meet with Maduro, President Maduro, and be able to sell a majority policy shift like this if they were to come home empty-handed. It was a surprise meeting, and it occurred as the cries here in the United States to stop buying oil from Russia just reached epic proportions. Dozens of bicameral Republican and Democrat lawmakers have pushed Biden to ban these Russian oil imports. Well, the White House suggested an import ban would harm U.S. conservers, consumers, Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he said over the weekend, the U.S. is engaged in very active discussions with allies about implementing such a ban. And great news, we were, we were told this morning, we haven't heard it from Joe Biden, but we were told today he is going to announce we are going to stop purchasing oil from Russia. So who are we going to get it from? Well, they have already reached out. Here's one example. They went to Venezuela. We're going to buy it from them. They're killing their own people. They're starving their own people. But they're going to sell some more oil, and we're going to buy it instead of from a dictator in Russia that is slaughtering Ukrainian people. So we go from Vlad to Maduro, and he's not through yet, folks. Biden's got another couple of stops for us to get oil. Iran. They're negotiating with Iran to buy oil from Iran. So we're already subsidizing the communists in Russia, subsidizing their genocide. And so now it looks like we're going to subsidize, if Biden gets his way, the genocide from Maduro in Venezuela and the Ayatollah in Iran. And then, of course, we're going to buy some oil from Saudi Arabia. We're going to go there. Wow. Great, great plan of action, isn't it? Why, oh, why? Here's the million-dollar question today. Why don't we increase our oil production? Why don't we? We have thousands of wells that have been capped. Why? Because Joe Biden became president. And he released a stack of regulations and executive orders, purposely was glad about it, bragged about it, purposely, because of the climate change activists that demand it. Do you know, this is an aside, I just thought about this, it popped in my head. Do you know what the ultimate goal of the Green New Deal activists are? It's a lofty goal. It's one that they've gone way ahead with their hopes and dreams all the way up to the end of this century. By the end of 2199, here's what they are pushing for. To get the nation's greenhouse gases, climate change, you know, carbon emissions, get all that down. Two-thirds of one percent. Think about that for a moment. We're going to starve our own people to death. We're going to tax us all to death. People are going to make billions and even trillions of dollars off of the government in the process to reach that lofty goal. 
reducing our greenhouse gases two-thirds of one percent by the end of the century. Now, the big scheme of things, is that really going to change the thing in our climate that we can impact? And that's pollution. That's the only thing we can change. Folks, I'm sorry, Mother Nature's got a bigger voice than you or I. And certainly bigger than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Barry. Senator Sanders, who are the gods of this whole thing. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. But it's here, and it makes absolutely no sense. None whatsoever. And we keep plugging away at it. They won't stop. They refuse to stop what they're doing, and they have all of these plans that are out there. And if you disagree with them, you're a white supremacist, a xenophobe, um, you're a tyrant, you're a dictator wannabe, you're an authoritarian. All of those isms that they can come up with, and they they throw them at you. There is no substance at all in those arguments. None whatsoever. Do you realize that last year, the United States of America reduced our green gas emissions percentage-wise more than any other country on the planet? And it was the same thing the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that. Since the turn of this century, every year we have reduced our greenhouse emissions. How are we doing it, Dan? We're being more and more ecologically, environmentally friendly, taking responsibility, doing good things, creating better ways to run our nations, reducing our bad fuel consumption, building cars and trucks that are much more environmentally friendly, and we have the best record on the planet. That's not good enough. We have to completely destroy our economy and the lives of several hundred million Americans in pleasing the climate activists that don't have a factual clue about what they're demanding from us. Joe Biden, brain surgeon that he is, he signed off on it. He went far left. He had to. They told him, we're not going to support your election unless you promise to give us all of these climate change, stupid rules and laws and actions that your government will take while you're elected. No justification, no science, no plan. You understand what they want to do in the first place is physically impossible. If it could ever be done, it would take decades. It would require a transition plan. God forbid that we would plan, our government would plan to do anything over a period of time. A realistic period of time would be at least 10 to 15 years. You want to translate the American everything, not just our economy, but everything into climate change mode. Do away with carbon energy. Do away with it. We're going to go renewable energy totally. Wind, nuclear, they don't even like that. (laughs) And battery power. Solar. That's what we're going to do. You're, You're looking at 10 to 15 years. Folks, they turned the spigot off. Joe Biden turned the spigot off day one in the White House. 
with his big list of executive orders purposely to kill the fossil fuel industry. They won't even come out and even remotely admit it. They won't even say we made a mistake and we need to change it. And it could be changed so quickly and so thoroughly and so smoothly. Why? Because we had perfected the process. October of 2019, excuse me, October of 2020, it was announced for the first time in a couple of decades, the United States was energy independent. In fact, we weren't just producing enough fuel just for us. We had begun selling our fuel around the world, much of that to our partners, our fellow citizens in Northern Europe. We built liquid national gas, natural gas processing plants, LNG, which has become the absolute best way and most environmentally friendly way to use carbon emissions, carbon fuel, fossil fuel. In fact, they built a massive plant in southwest Louisiana. All the politicians from D.C. went down to get excited and participate in the grand opening. What does that do? They convert gas into liquid natural gas, put it on these big ships, and send it around the world. And when it's burned, it's even more environmentally friendly than is regular natural gas. They've shut that down. They've lost their minds, and in the middle of all of this, all they want to do is wage political war. Political war. Not factual. Not life on the streets. Not figuring out what to do and how to do it. And of course, we've got, we've got to get after that pollution. Well, November 9th, 2020, the Environmental Protection Agency released the 2019 greenhouse gas data collected under their reporting program. The data showed that between 2018-2019, the beginning of 2020, total reported greenhouse gas emissions from large facilities across the nation fell 5%. 5%. And that that data is consistent with the decades-long trend in which total reported greenhouse gas emissions from these big plants decreased by more than 14% from 2011 to 2019. Notably, this downward trend in reported emissions has occurred even while the program began tracking more sources of energy production. With respect to power plant emissions specifically, Greenhouse gas emissions from this sector decreased by 25% between 2011 and 2019. Oh, but President Trump, President Trump, he was the bad guy. He cut that off and took us back the other way. It's not so. EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler said this, President Trump was right to leave the Paris Climate Accords. We've done more to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions over the past four years than our international competitors who cling to the ceremonial and arbitrary agreement, Paris Climate Accords. So that was the 10th year of data collection for most sectors under this program. Congress directed EPA 
annual facility level emissions data from major industrial sources so they can get a a fix on where we're headed. And of course, all the hoo-ha out there was that Trump, he just turned it around. We just, we increased our greenhouse gas emissions exponentially under Donald Trump. When the facts come out, the real numbers, they improve more than they did under the eight years of Joe and Barack Obama. And of course, when Joe and Barack were asked about it, they blamed George W. Bush and his eight years in the White House. Bottom line is, folks, we're doing a a really good job. Not a pretty good job, but a really good job environmentally. And we've been doing it without getting in the pockets of Americans with these crazy ideas that are all very, very expensive. And they won't help us. We won't get as good of results as we've been doing planning and working together. Planning before you implement something. Novel idea. AOC and her crew, they don't even think about that. There's no need to do that. Just, you know, it's politically correct, so it'll all work out. It's federal government. We could just write a check. So you do you remember this? I'm going to remind you of something. Back in 2020, then-President Trump was speaking at a campaign rally in Grand Rapids, Michigan. On November 2nd, 2020, you remember that day? Pretty big day. <laughs> well, he said Americans would end up paying $7 per gallon for gasoline if his Democrat opponent, Joe Biden, ended up in the White House. Here's a quote. As long as I'm president, we will remain the number one producer of oil and natural gas anywhere on this planet. And for the first time, we are energy independent. You never heard that term before. We're energy independent. We have so much oil, he said. We have more oil than anybody, okay? And it's an incredible thing that it's happened over the past few years. A lot of great things. And you're paying what? $2 a gallon for your gas? That's okay. You know what that's like? That's like a tax cut. That's bigger than a tax cut. If Biden got in, you'd be paying seven, eight, nine dollars Then they'd say, get rid of your car. Even the most fanatical climate alarmist Democrats would have considered the 2020 prediction unlikely. The Washington Post when they analyzed a piece a week after Trump's speech, said this, a dubious meme has emerged online in conservative circles. The price of gasoline will spike because Joe Biden is taking office. Experts say those fears are overblown, the Washington Post said. In fact, it said Biden's policies, including a possible easing of tensions with Iran, could result in lower gas prices. And instead, you know, Trump's prediction, it's come true. Residents of L.A. are paying the crushing price of seven bucks a gallon for gas. Biden gutted our American energy production and independence, and it was just a slippery slope. But he put us on the top of the slope and shoved us with the Keystone XL pipeline project cancellation on day one. He failed to stop Vladimir Putin's Russia from invading Ukraine and launching a war that's 
dramatically going to increase European energy insecurity, raise the cost of gas, not just there, but across the world. Instead of developing real solutions to unaffordable energy prices, the Biden administration has directed Americans to lower their expectations or purchase electric vehicles. Folks, the one little thing about electric vehicles that will make it impossible to convert to electric cars and trucks without a multi-trillion dollar coast-to-coast, state-by-state, mile-by-mile installation process of putting in charging stations. There is not enough electric energy in our grid. There's not one state that has enough to supply charging stations sufficient for even half of the automobiles used privately in the nation to be able to charge every day. And oh, by the way, have you heard what the average price of EVs are? Electric vehicles? The average price is only $55,000 if you can get them. If you can get them. So yesterday... Vice President Kamala Harris, she got a new job. Well, she's still Vice President, but she got a new job. And I'm going to let you listen to this from Secretary of Transportation. We're talking about electric cars and carbon fuel and all that kind of stuff. That would be Pete Buttigieg. He got up in front of the crowd and he gave us the truth, the facts about what's going on regarding electric energy, Kamala Harris, and how life is already a dream for us because of what they have done. Please welcome the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris, accompanied by Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And I especially want to thank Vice President Harris for her leadership on so many of our country's most pressing challenges, including the intersection between transportation and climate. I'm delighted by the announcement that she will be making today to bring public transit into the future so that people breathe cleaner air and our communities are protected against the climate crisis. Clean transportation can bring significant cost savings for the American people as well. Last month, we announced a $5 billion investment to build out a nationwide electric vehicle charging network so that people from rural to suburban to urban communities can all benefit from the gas savings of driving an EV. So today is about how we can deliver cleaner air, a better climate, affordable transportation, and good jobs all at once. We are building a better future. Wouldn't answer any questions. And you heard the consensus. Obviously, that whole thing was edited, so you'd miss all the drivel that was in between those wonderful, marvelous statements that they made. Life is going to get good. Uncle Sam, $5 billion charging stations. Somebody do the math. Let's do it together. $5 billion. Those things cost $5,000 a piece. So let me turn my iPhone over to the side so I can get some more commas in here. Let's see. Five, that's 5,000, 5 million, 5 billion. Divided by 5,000, that's how much each charging station costs to install. Well, they got a million of them. 
Wow. They'll have that all done by what? Next week? That's in the infrastructure bill. It's already funded. What? They hadn't put them up in your neighborhood? They got plenty of money. You and I both know if the government does it, whatever it is, what things can you name today? What things that our government does could not be done better if they were done by the private sector? I'm going to ask you again. What things in our government that our government does today solely, what things could not be done better if they were being done in the private sector? Think about that. I've got some thoughts. Back after this, we'll take that up. Duncan is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Duncan with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Duncan. Sip into the fall season with the new pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Duncan. Price of participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Those in the know like to stay in the realm of innovation. Join them. It's easy to keep up with the latest trends and own the latest tech with BMW Select as it offers you the option to drive a brand new BMW every three years. You also get to tailor your deal to suit your pocket and your lifestyle. Visit select.bmw.co.za for more. BMW Select. Dynamic finance for ultimate control. BMW Financial Services is an authorized FSP and registered credit provider. T's and C's apply. Ready for best life minus the burnout? I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Everyone thinks they can handle the truth. But the want and the will are two different things. Truthnewsnet.org Once again, Dan Newman. That was kind of a nugget from Pete Moss there. Yeah, having the will and doing it, two different things. If you want to know the truth, you'll find the truth. If you want to know hard enough, bad enough, you'll figure out what the truth is. So did you think about my question? What could our federal government Something, some things they already do. What couldn't be done better? What couldn't we take away from the federal government? 
that we could do better. Can you think of anything? You know, the first thing I thought of was our military. I mean, let's face it. It's huge. It's massive. I thought that through. I've thought about this a lot, trying to come up with, you know, some idea. And I I actually pulled out the old pen and paper and I wrote down the different sectors and I couldn't come up with a single thing. Yeah, I believe that there could be the privatization of our military and be done better, more cost-effectively, with a whole lot less bureaucracy if it was done in the private sector. Now, there would have to be a process put up. My suggestion would be not totally disband our national military, but put 90% of it in the hands of the individual 50 states, then to coordinate by this national entity, if they wanted to call it the Pentagon or whatever, just coordinate the training, the equipping, getting it universal across the nation, but put the actual construction and operation on the states. You know, that's one of those things that it used to be done. This country was founded. The power was given to 50 individual states and the regulations would be handled by their individual state legislatures and the governors in each state. It wasn't until later that we even decided to have a federal government. So what else is out there? Well, how about the IRS? <laughs> did you did you throw up a little bit in your mouth when I said that? Hey, I got a novel idea. Let's find a way to do away with the IRS. Well, we can't do that, Dan. Well, we could do that. You and I both know we could do that. We could so simplify our tax system. We could do away with everything in it. We could continue to have a U.S. Treasury, obviously. What would they do? Well, they would collect the taxes. We would still tax each other. But somebody would be a clearinghouse and then send it to the various areas that it should go. For instance, figure up a way to take the military in and put it in the states. Well, the cost is there. Shouldn't we fund it nationally? Well, of course we should. How do we fund it? We would still pay income tax. But the way to simplify it and to stop all the cheating that happens and the politicization every four years of I can do this, people, those evil corporations aren't paying any taxes. Joe Biden still says that. It's a bald-faced lie. If you Google Amazon, go anywhere, get information, do Amazon, do Microsoft, they all pay federal taxes. But they find ways within the law to defer paying taxes, to take write-offs, buying equipment early so they can write off legally. As an example, every 10 years or so, the private yacht industry, they hit a brick wall. They need help. Private airplanes, not private airplanes, but corporate jets. The same thing happens there. So what does the government do? Well, when you buy anything, it only has, if you use it in your business, only has so long. It's called shelf life. So that means it gets less valuable each year, and eventually it's not worth anything. I mean, that just makes sense. That's been in effect 
for years, for, for decades it's been being used. And so what that means is the value, its value decreases, then it's not worth anything, so you can depreciate it. And there's a schedule. The IRS put a depreciation schedule in place for every type of asset that any business ever buys. So what happens is they want to help the yacht industry in a big way this year. So what did they do? They tell you of any company out there that needs or is going or planning to buy a yacht, if you buy it during this year, we'll let you depreciate it all in this one year rather than having to do it a little bit at a time over the next 10 to 15 years. Corporate jets the same way. There are all kinds of things like that that are being done. But just what if we took all of the political possibilities of using these things for our politicians to campaign with and sell themselves? Oh, they don't do that. Dan, you can't say that. They're public servants. Every one of them in some way or another does exactly that. And they've got justification if you confront them with it. They'll tell you point blank, well, here's what we do. And it's not cheating, but here's what we do, and here's why we do it. And they'll, at some point in that conversation, here's what they'll say. It's been done this way in Washington for decades. And, of course, what that does, it makes it okay. So, yes, Biden is announcing today, I'm circling back, Biden is announcing announcing today, at some point he's going to make, he's got to make it be a political great thing that he's doing, patting himself on the back somehow. We decided to do this. Well, gas hit 417 a gallon this morning. And um, Vladimir Putin this morning warned (laughs) that if we cut him off, he's going to raise the price of his oil to $300 a barrel. So what is this going to do? Well, the ban will be levied by the U.S. along with several European Union allies, which rely more on Russian energy than do we. Our markets only bought 3.5% of their crude from Russia last year. Most was bought, Russian oil I'm talking about, was bought by Canada. Domestic gas prices have skyrocketed since Russia launched this Ukraine attack, but the crisis has still exacerbated U.S. gas prices which reached an average high of 417 per gallon. AAA released a series of tips to help Americans conserve fuel yesterday. And when they start doing that, folks, you know we're in deep doo-doo. Meanwhile, U.S. officials have been looking at Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, and Iran to fill the gap. Lindsey Graham, senator out of South Carolina, said going to authoritarian Venezuela for oil is the height of insanity. Democrat senator, even a Democrat senator, John Tester, said we shouldn't be advancing other countries who don't share our values. And then there's us. (laughs) More than 70% of us, 7 out of 10 Americans, still say they'd support a ban on Russian oil. I guess they're going to get their way. The U.K. is expected to levy its own ban on Russian oil with a ban on its natural gas being still in talks. And that's the biggie for Europe, natural gas. Their winters over there are a whole lot tougher than ours. 
a whole lot tougher. Well, as you can imagine, oil prices went through the roof this morning when the word was leaked out, we're going to ban Russian oil. The ban's going to cover Russian oil, liquid natural gas, LNG, and coal, by the way. This is according to a Bloomberg report. NBC News also reported two sources said the ban is expected to come probably midday today. Bloomberg's report said the decision was made in consultation with our European allies. Europe is much more reliant on Russian energy, especially natural gas. Brent crude, which is the global benchmark, jumped to $130 a barrel. West Texas Intermediate moved up to $125 a barrel. The price of Russian oil has been trading at a steep discount compared to Brent crude because many market participants were effectively boycotting Russia following their Ukrainian attack. U.S. refiners were reportedly not bidding on any Russian oil today. That makes it easier to ban Russian oil since it was largely being excluded from the U.S. market already. So what could we have or could we have done anything earlier? What could we have done? Can you think of anything? Honestly, folks, I think at some point when it became apparent that Putin was going to do it, somebody, it had already been done before, just on a generic across-the-board basis, but when you throw Vladimir Putin and possible world war into the mix, somebody should have said, you know what, Mr. President? This is going to make the price of oil go through the roof. Yeah, it's up a buck, a buck twenty nationwide since you took office, but that's tolerable. Americans don't like it, but it's bearable, and they'll bite the bullet and do that. They always have. But not just because of the price of oil, but because of overall arching world developments and the possibility of this really getting ugly really quickly, which it is. Why don't we think about just opening back up? Why don't we have a conference call with the heads of all of the major oil and gas companies here in the United States and just give them the green light and tell them, you know, those executive orders that I signed on day one as president that brought in all of those egregious rules and regulations for exploration, oil and gas, those things that crushed you, you know, those things that we put in place because we knew it would crush you and you would stop drilling and getting us oil. And therefore that would make our renewable energy plan more effective, even though it's just a plan and I haven't seen a plan. You haven't either. They talk about it, but that's about it. If we just did that and found out how quickly they could get the oil and gas flowing, wouldn't that make sense? And not even publicize that call. Just make it happen. I guarantee you the CEOs of these major corporations, if they were told those egregious regulations were coming down, we would have already, if they had done this two and a half weeks ago, we would have reports of refineries around the United States already getting gas, newly drilled and put online gas. They could do it that quickly. How could they do it that quickly? We have all the infrastructure already there. They just turned the valves off waiting and hoping. It's happened before in history, folks. 
not to this degree, not to this extent, not under these exact same circumstances, but it has happened as the ebb and flow of the need for gas and oil goes up and down, so goes the availability. I mean, it's just like any other industry. If nobody's buying it at the time, you don't want to produce it. It costs you to produce and it just sits there. So they've already got it figured out. It would take, I guarantee it would take 90 days to get back at 100%. But I bet you in just as long as this Ukraine conflict has been happening, almost two weeks, we could already be flowing gas and oil here in the United States. So we've harped on all of this stuff, energy, Ukraine, for most of the show today. There's other stuff going on. Listen to this. An illegal alien who was deported from here at least nine times since 1995 is accused, has been arrested, and is charged with repeatedly molesting his nine-year-old niece in Grovetown, Georgia. His name, Jorge Malara, 49-year-old from Honduras, was arrested and charged with child molestation after the nine-year-old victim's mom reported the abuse to local authorities. According to the police department there, Malara explained his actions by telling cops to an interpreter that Hondurans are touchy and friendly. He said he had the best intentions when he did it. So police allege that Malara repeatedly molested the girl roughly five times a day. Police are now looking into a potential second victim in another country. The victim's mother said Malara conducted the abuse every time she was not around in the residence. Since October of 1995, police said Malara had been deported from the U.S. at least nine times and last returned in July of 2020. And it might get worse. Sacramento County Sheriff Scott Jones is blaming the murder last week of three daughters of an illegal alien and their chaperone on the state sanctuary city law that allowed him to be released into the community. I defy anyone to say this isn't a spectacular failure of immigration policy. That's Sheriff Scott Jones. News station reported that Jones also shared his opinion on the Facebook page about the killings which took place while the kids and their chaperone were attending a church service. ICE did the right thing. They served a detainer on this jail in Merced and said, look, we want this guy. We know who he is. We want him. We don't want you to release him, which is what a detainer does. The jail did what they had to do by California state law. What was it? Except the detainer. But that doesn't affect one thing, the sheriff said. He recalled how eight years earlier, another gunman in California illegally shot and killed a Sacramento County deputy and a Placer County Sheriff's deputy. That guy had been removed from our country four times with no consequences at all, committing crimes every time he was here. Some said Jones is using the tragedy to help his campaign to represent California's 3rd Congressional District, but he pushed back. You have three little beautiful girls that are dead. I would never try and exploit that for political gains, and I never will. That happened. 
But it does highlight a failure that I've been screaming about, not just in California, but in Washington and everywhere in between. The things that I do, the things that I say resonate with some people and upset other folks, but I really like it if I have a platform to speak that I have a responsibility to use it. Good for the sheriff, right? Good for the sheriff. This kind of stuff is happening around us every day. Every stinking day. And it's not getting any better. One thing George Soros did very smartly to build his totalitarian anti-law enforcement process across our nation. I'm sure he's involved in the campaigns of a bunch of people that are in the United States House of Representatives in the U.S. Congress, no doubt about that. But he really looked closely and carefully at the law enforcement process in the nation, and he realized it all begins in one spot, in the local and regional spots across the nation where not cops, but the people above them, the ones that are actually charged with prosecuting any lawbreaker, district attorneys, those are the people that make the choices about who gets prosecuted, who has to look at the face of the law and be held responsible for it and to hold those lawbreakers responsible for whatever. It's the district attorneys. So he very carefully looked for a couple of years. He looked around the nation and he found hard leftists, lawyers in every case, but hard leftists, and he sought them all out. I can tell you this factually. I've got one of those right here in my city. He became district attorney here about eight years ago and in a local election, and nobody could believe it, but George Soros put over a million dollars in his campaign in Shreveport, Louisiana. Basically, what did he do? Well, he did with, I'm talking about George Soros. He did exactly what Mark Zuckerberg did in the 2020 election. He found local spots where he could spend millions of dollars and impact the grassroots level. In Soros's case of law enforcement, in Zuckerberg's case, in fixing elections with dollars and cents. Both of them so far have been very successful in their ploy. And when they did that, who paid the price? Americans. Good old, regular, day-to-day Americans are paying the price for these political hacks to voice their opinions on the face of the nation. Grab an ice-cold can of Celsius and stay active and energized all day. Celsius is better for you energy, made with premium ingredients, zero sugar, and seven essential vitamins, with no high fructose corn syrup, no aspartame, no preservatives, and no artificial colors or flavors. Celsius is just the essential energy you need to keep you fueled and active all day. Celsius, essential energy, live fit. Now find Celsius at Celsius.com or a retailer near you. I know I should quit smoking. But it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) 
I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. QuitYes.org. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? Crawl or lollygag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Remember when the news was just facts? Remember when the news was truth? It still is. TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, Dan Newman. This morning, very early, Joe Concha, you know who he is. You see him... Every once in a while, you see him on Fox News. He's a reporter. He's a really good guy, but he reached out and responded to this noise that's been going around from the left. Adam Schiff is the perpetrator of the noise, and what's the noise I'm talking about? Donald Trump is responsible for Ukraine. (laughs) Donald Trump is responsible for Vladimir Putin invading Ukraine. And they blame it on that phone call. Remember the one that Adam Schiff and company used to impeach Donald Trump the first time? The call with who? Vladimir Zelensky. Then a new president of Ukraine in which our president asked the president of Ukraine to help him. And he was referring to finding out what Joe Biden did. The investigation, by the way, was already underway, had been underway. The fired prosecutor that Joe Biden got fired by threatening to withhold a billion dollars worth of U.S. aid if he did not fire that prosecutor in Ukraine. And the reason Joe wanted him fired was because he was investigating Burisma Holdings, where His son, Hunter Biden, was getting an $83,000 a month check. And of course, that's lawlessness. And we know it happened because Biden bragged about it publicly. We've played you that all along. So Schiff came up and he said, you know that conversation. That's why Vladimir Putin (laughs) is invading Ukraine. Joe Concha this morning weighed in on what that's all about. Joe Concha is here to react, and Joe blaming President Trump for a war that didn't unfold on his watch is a new one. What do you make of this? <laughs> well, here we are, Carly. It's almost 13 months since Donald Trump was in power, right? And, and he's still living rent-free in the minds of those who get paid to talk about world affairs on TV, right? Like Whoopi Goldberg uh, and Chuck Todd, where Chuck Todd says, I don't buy that it wouldn't have happened. Well, four years went by, and it literally didn't happen. Uh, and as usual, there's a disconnect w- with the sentiment of a solid majority of the American people, right? Here are the facts. Under Trump, ISIS went from being one of our top threats to almost non-existent. North Korea went out from carrying out nuclear missile tests over Japan and threatening the U.S. with said nukes to to halting testing and no longer issuing threats towards us. And Russia 
under Trump didn't invade neighboring countries as it did under Obama-Biden when it invaded Georgia and annexed Crimea. So you have to wonder if the debacle of that Afghani withdrawal of U.S. forces had anything to do with Russia being emboldened here with Ukraine. Obama-Biden, by the way, also initiated that infamous U.S.-Russian reset, complete with that big reset button that yeah. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton handed to her Russian counterpart, Sergey Lavrov. So it's going great. Remember so far. that thing? Yeah. Uh, and it was the uh, team Biden, uh, Biden, <laughs> Obama and Biden, uh, who mocked Mitt Romney uh, for declaring Russia being our biggest uh, yeah. geopolitical foe during that presidential debate in, in 2012. So when you add it all up, bad things happened under Obama and Biden. They stopped happening under Trump. And for the media to say, well, this would have happened anyway under Trump ignores 2017 to 2021. Yeah. We, we can go with O'Biden. St. Patrick's Day is only a few days away. <laughs> but, but Joe, all, all joking I've heard aside, Irish. On TV, what concerns me the most about this is, is less about Trump, and it's more about the yeah. disastrous, disastrous consequences of the Biden foreign policy, if you can at least call it that, and the media's lack of informing the American public about what he's doing, not only to our country, but to the world. Do you think that will change as the midterms draw closer and closer? Because I don't think it well. Probably not, no. And, and look, you, again, I, I talked about the disconnect between media and what people are saying and feeling on the ground. And Harris X uh, shared a poll with, with Newsweek, and, and it found that 42% of voters said that Trump's policies are more to blame about Russia invading Ukraine. 58% blame Biden, including 66%. So two-thirds of independents blame Biden for this Ukraine uh, invasion of Russia, an insidious invasion, and only one-third blame Trump. So that, that's what we're talking about here. But the most telling part of this poll, guys, was that 69% of those responding said that we absolutely need to be more energy independent here at home and stop depending on Russia so much. And that's a disconnect, actually, between this administration, right. the Biden administration, and <laughs> Democrats in, in Congress yeah, and on the Hill right, right now. There so a, disconnect. That's the theme of this segment. There's a support for the oil and gas issue at, at a time when there's barely bi bipartisan support for anything. But at least the American people seem to get it, even if the media is not yeah. telling them. It's crazy what people are doing up in Washington, D.C., scrambling for ways to keep Donald Trump from getting back in office. And I get it. And by the way, the Iran nuclear deal, you know, the one that uh, Barack Obama and Joe Biden put together, all that money, very quietly behind the scenes, no congressional oversight or authorization sent to Iran. Donald Trump nixed that agreement. It's back on. And it's even worse. The United States has negotiated that deal to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons, they say. But it's not going to happen that way. The way this new deal that they put together is structured, listen to how unbelievably unethical it is. They're going to give Iran whatever they're going to give Iran in the deal. It's not written. I'm sure it is, but we can't see it. But here's the plan to make it work long term. They're going to allow Iran to enrich uranium, not to use for nuclear weapons, but for their power grid in the nation of Iran. And when they enrich this nuclear uranium, they're going to change its location, its storage from Iran 
to Russia. Why are they going to do that? Because they are pretty sure a Republican is going to win the 2024 election, and they know that if a Republican does, he's going to nuke that deal again. I used the word nuke there. That's kind of a faux pas. But nevertheless, and then when it's all over, Russia will give Iran that enriched uranium again. It looks like that's going to be done in the same fashion the original one does with no congressional oversight or participation in the process at all. That's who we have in the White House, folks. They mastered it under Obama Biden. We shouldn't be surprised they're bringing it back. Well, that's a wrap on the show today. You have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow.